Welcome to the Girls Talk podcast, where girls talk, girls share, girls listen and girls take control. I'm Adjo Boa and I started Girls Talk because of my own struggles with mental health. The thing that brought me out the other side was knowing I wasn't in this alone, talking about my problems with my girls and moving my body to clear my head. Which is why, every episode, I'm going to invite my friends to talk, share, listen and take control of our shit. Because together, we will become individually and collectively stronger, inspire each other and create a badass community. So, listen to us when you need to put your headphones in, block out the noise and surround yourself with the tools to control whatever chaos is in your life. Hi listeners, for the month of March we've been talking all about love and sex and I've been having some inspiring and thought-provoking conversations from sisterly love, first love, first times, and everything else in between. But it doesn't end here. We want all your submissions about relationships, sex advice, love stories, heartbreak, anything to do with this complex and beautiful subject of love and sex. The Girls Talk podcast exists to make women everywhere feel less alone. I want you all to hear the stories of amazing women so we can lift each other up and share our tools of strength and power. So don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, give us a review, share us with your friends, tell your mum, your dad, your friends, everyone, we want to keep making the content that you love. So without further ado, further ado, further ado, I'm going to start the podcast with Girls Talk. Girls Talk. Today's guest really needs... No introduction. I actually stalked her. I sent her a DM. She's a best-selling author, a chart-topping podcast host, an adored voice of our generation. I would like to introduce Dolly Alderton. Did you forget my name there? Or was that dramatic? No, that was dramatic. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I thought in your head you were like, oh, fuck, who's she? Can you imagine if I... <laughs> I'd like to introduce Daisy Anderson. May I say that DM was the best DM I ever got. I absolutely squealed and screen grabbed it and sent it to all my various WhatsApp group friend chats. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. I was like, I was this, over the moon. Yeah, I was like, this is it. I found. I could. My friend Kitty had told me about the book, and she was reading it. And then I went and bought it at Waterstones, and I literally didn't put it down. And then when I finished it, I was like, this is just everything I've been feeling in a book. I remember when I got that message from you because I love your work so much what and I think you're so brilliant. You just said that you, that um, you, I, I feel really boast to quoting it back. <laughs> you said it was amazing. You said, you said that it had like moved you. And I am such a fan of your work and I think you're just the coolest girl ever. And I have always been such a dork. So it was like so reassuring to me when I got this message of like the coolest and most beautiful woman possibly in the world mm. relates to my book. Maybe I'm not so much of a dork. Maybe we're all dorks. Yeah. No, no, but we are. <laughs> yeah. I'm such a weirdo. And I think that's what, that was something I really loved about the book, especially at the beginning when you were kind of 20, where did it, what age did it start? It was like... Well, there's kind of like a bit of a prologue when I was yeah, like a teenager exactly. and then it's like when I was a student in, in my early 20s. And that's, I couldn't, I could completely relate to that. I just, and the obsession with boys, but not having a boyfriend. Did you have that? Yeah, like hands down. And also all my friends having boyfriends mm. and always being the third wheel. 
It's so weird you should say that because I realised a lot of the book is me talking about uh, my best friend Farley, um, who had never had a boyfriend we were, when we were growing up. She was kind of like my safe bed. Yeah. And then she got into this very serious relationship when we first moved to London. I felt that she'd been kind of snatched away from me. And that's like a big thrust of the narrative thrust of the book. And I've reflected a lot on why I found that so upsetting and so difficult. Because when you're 24, you know, 22, 23, 24, that is like life's going to happen like that. But I found it so traumatic. I remember like crying into my pillow about it. And actually, when I think about it, like through a lot of analysis, that feeling of being the third wheel and all your friends having boyfriends and sitting like, I remember endlessly as a teenager, the cool girls like going around to their going around to their parents' house and their boyfriend would be there and they'd be like really tickling each other on the sofa mm. or smooching and me feeling just this like matronly school mom just yeah. sitting there feeling like no one is ever, ever going to want to come near me. I think it just reminded me of that. I think yeah. it made me feel just like, totally uncool and unlovable and yeah I think it like those memories cast a long shadow if you feel that as a teenager but there's a really beautiful part at the end of the book and I'm not going to try and quote it but it's where you say and it's like you know everything you know about love um at where do you start the book 25 28 28 and you should always let one of your friends leave you and then come back to you let your friend leave you for a loved one and then come mm. back to you and I think it's it you kind of have to do that. It's something I've never had. My friends are so, I've never, I've been in relationships, but my friends have always come first. And really? I'm not sure if that's been quite detrimental to my relationships, probably. Um, <laughs> but my friends are just like, I've never changed also to fit with a boyfriend. I have, I'd like to talk about that a bit as well. Like girlfriends who mold themselves to fit in with their boyfriend at the time yeah yeah I think that happens I mean it, I talked to Farley about it It definitely happened with Farley and she admits that that was something she wasn't conscious of at the, of the at the time but I think that makes it even more painful when you feel like you're losing them because you feel like you're losing the version of the person that you loved but I'm I'm so impressed have you never been abandoned for a man by a friend then has anyone ever done it to no, you? No, no, I have. Oh, you have. Yeah, 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 but I've just never done it. You've done to it, a friend. And did did that was that painful? Yeah, all yeah. through school, I found it very difficult. All my friends always having boyfriends. I literally, other than the fact that I hated school anyway, then all my friends having boyfriends all the time was was just. I think it added a lot of insecurity to the way that mm. I felt about myself. Yeah was just a hard one because I just then it kind of reiterated to the fact that no it kind of because all the girls that were fancied I was never gonna look like mm. so it just kind of made that even bigger and made me feel even more kind of shit and uglier yeah I, I had exactly the same thing and I remember when I was younger because I was you know, I didn't look like the other girls. I was like six foot by the time. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I was a pretty big kid. I was a bit of a, you know, emotional eater. It was not my time for like being a hot chick. And, um, and neither should it be as you're no. a teenager. I'm really glad that I wasn't like a hot chick when I was 14 now. But I remember having that feeling of 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 boys kind of uh, being kind of mean to me and I couldn't 
you know, I couldn't find anyone that was attracted to me as hard as I tried. Like even the biggest losers yeah. <laughs> were still not going to be persuaded and snogging me. And I remember having that feeling. Um, and actually, I interviewed Lolly Adafopi recently, yeah. who's brilliant. And she said she had exactly the same feeling as well. And I think a lot of young girls do of like romance and passion and affection and lust and all the stuff I see in my favorite movies. That's for girls not like me. Like it's laughable that I would have anyone would ever want yeah. to do all that with me. Mm-hmm. That's for girls who look like them, mm-hmm. and I'll be the funny, fat friend. Yeah, and of course, that's just such bullshit. Yeah, but I truly did think that when I was a teenager. When you're a teenager, you think everything is forever, don't you? And I think when I was a teenager, I was like, well, that's it. I'll never ever experience romance. Did you ever go to the feathers? Oh my god. <laughs> Do I give off that vibe? No, but I did. You did? Yeah. Yeah. So if you did, it's fine. I tell you what, we went to The Feathers. For anyone who doesn't know. Yeah, so let's like... ex- let explain. The Feathers is like a, oh, it's like a really posh private school kind of party that's put on by someone. I'm not sure who it's put on by. And you buy tickets <laughs> yeah. and everyone goes and everyone snogs and gets like glandular fever. Everyone gets glandular fever. It's... I did not snog anyone. Oh, no, no, I it actually, <laughs> uh, uh, I feel sick. No, I went, didn't snog anyone. Every single friend I went with, no, I remember, I'm actually going to say this story. My okay, mum dropped me off. She, one, wouldn't let me wear heels. Thanks, mum. <laughs> she then dropped me off at some random person's house that, and it was all these boys that had went to, had um, gone to Eton. I didn't know any of them. It was like a friend of a friend. It's like, yeah, bring your daughter along. She can come with all of us. I went, literally, my mum was like, I'm going to go now. And I literally brought her into the kitchen. I was like, do not leave me. Do not leave me. And she, oh, I remember that And she feeling. left. And I went to the feathers, didn't snog anyone, and then came home and wept in her arms. Oh. <laughs> it was the worst. I was like, don't ever make me go to anything like that ever again. Did you go to an all-girls school? No, mixed. Mm. Yeah, it's... Did you, um, you went to an all... No, yeah, I went yeah. to an all-girls school. Um, thank God I went to a mixed school for when I was the sixth former. Because I think otherwise, when I went to university, I, I just don't... I think I would have fainted at the sight of, the, of a boy. Yeah. Um, but I remember that feeling of, of um, being... And I still have this a bit now just being a bit terrified of boys of being a bit like I'm, I'm just kind of obsessed with them and I don't really know what to say to them and I don't really know how they function and I, you know can I touch them almost like yeah. you know I just can't I've always found intimacy so much easier with girls than I have with boys and did you when you went to school did you understand like I remember not even knowing what fingering was I'm not sure I just, although I came from... I really not expect that question, but yeah, I'm so glad that it's come up. But I, I remember, because I came from London, and every week, you know, we'd have those weirdo, like, kind of snogging parties that just were about everyone just snogging each other, but it was like spin the bottle, and it was fine. Yeah. And it wasn't like, we weren't, like, no one had boyfriends or anything like that. And then I went to boarding school, and there was just an obsession with fingering. And I actually had no idea. There was all this lingo, and I was like, "I, I don't, I don't know what to do about this." I, I remember, I remember pretending a, yeah. a lot that mm-hmm. I understood things. I mean, something that I used to do as a teenager, which I've only just started <laughs> talking about now because I've had enough dif- distance, but I'm still mortified by it. I was like a massive liar. I lied a lot. Like I remember being twelve and telling people that I'd had like 
penetrative sex. <laughs> <laughs> Because I felt so, because I was so confused by mm-hmm. this language and this stuff that I just, you know, and I was still like, I basically was North London's longest reigning virgin. Mm. But yeah, I remember, and I remember the most embarrassing thing that I did, which I've only recently had back and had like flashbacks of, is I remember I would go on like a family holiday with my parents and that was like your only chance of getting fingered. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. you're never going to be around boys yeah, for the exactly. rest of the years. You just like got to go health leather. Uh, and I never really succeeded. But I remember I had a real crush on a boy called Ryan who I'd met in this like Spanish hotel. So I came back. I remember getting a photo of him. because so I was like, it's going to be really important that I have evidence yeah, when sure I get everyone. back to the school because otherwise people are just going to say I've like made it up because I was this like prolific ri- liar. I was the kind of person that was like, I got off with Lee Ryan. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I lied so much. So I was like, okay, I've got this photo of him smiling in the camera. So that's my evidence. I then... I made this whole story about this like summer romance we had. I then set up a fake hotmail address. Oh my god, you were catfishing before even catfish exist existed. And I emailed myself emails from him so that I could show my friends. Be like, see, he does exist. Oh my god, you went in. Yeah. Went in. Yeah. Did they believe it? I think they bought it. I think it gave me some borrowed time. Yeah. But I don't know why I was so ashamed. Like it's so normal for a 13-year-old to not be like romantically and sexually active but for some reason I felt like it was so mortifying that I wasn't I had to create these big complicated lies no I remember the first time I lied about losing my virginity and I never really had to lie but I don't know I don't know why it didn't get brought up in conversation but it I just didn't there was a moment where I had to lie was why, national, why did you why did you feel you I was at to? National Youth Theatre and we were all sitting together and everyone was a bit older than me and talking about sex. And I think we, we were playing Never Have I Ever. Oh, yeah. And then it was, and I just had to lie. Yeah. I just remember this feeling of so much pressure. I just, it just blur, it came out. Mm. And then, yeah, that was it. And it's weird, isn't it? Me and Farley often talk about the fact that you spend your entire adolescence being so scared of someone calling you frigid. And then you get into your 20s and I like long for a man to call me frigid. Yeah. <laughs> No, exactly. And that would be the greatest compliment. And you also talk a lot about in the book about um, faking orgasms mm. and all the difference, the guilt that it makes you feel, how bad it is for the other person and just how unnecessary it is. Yeah, yeah. It's like being quite a like ongoing motif in my life, I have to say. And most of my friends' life, we talk about it quite a lot. Yeah. I think a lot of the issue is is that the female orgasm just isn't, taught or discussed at all when you're learning about sex growing up either at school or with your family ejaculation is the only thing you learn about because you learn about sex in in a biological and moralized sense rather than in a kind of sensual sense so I think it's like it's something that women are confused by I mean I've got friends in their 30s who was who are still convinced they've never had an orgasm yeah no I have friends as well like yeah But it's also, that's such a good point. You do, you you learn only about, like, ejaculation. And I remember, sorry, mum and dad, <laughs> you think you're going to be listening to this. But I remember when I had been fingered for the first time and I said, faster, because it, it needed to be faster. And then the day after school, 
there was a group of boys and I'd be walking around school oh, and no. they'd keep on going faster, faster, oh, faster. Literally, that's the kind of shit you had to deal with at school. Yeah, and I think as well, something I remember at school was that if you were, because I was always quite fascinated with sex, as I think a lot of young little girls are, but um, for some reason I think a little boy curiosity in sex is like, funny and lolzy and like oh he's a bit of a card and I think with girls it's seen as like quite hideous and disgusting and um yeah and that's obviously entrenched with weird kind of historic shame stuff but I remember at school that that you we could talk about sex in terms of like what you did it was like you know I gave head to him at the O2 cinema in Finchley or I did you know like it's like these kind of boastful unconnected um act but I I do remember that if there if a woman ever a girl ever kind of expressed sexual desire or things that she liked that immediately in kind of adolescent discussion was seen as like creepy and weird and she's a pervert you know and I think that a lot of people carry that for quite a long time mm-hmm. like I'm quite lucky my friends we're all quite you know disgusting and graphic in fact it's the thing that I get most upset about when my friends get married because I'm like please keep telling me about your sex life I know it's I'm so happy my friends are as well (laughs) I mean I know they're the same love and sex but what but I'm just thinking about the kind of way I obsessed over boys and I'm not sure if it was a sexual obsession or just this kind of love obsession I really believed that we were going to spend like it was going to happen and we were going to spend the rest of our lives together, even if I'd like kind of briefly met them or yeah. kissed them once. Yeah. Did you ever have an experience with that? I mean, every day, yeah. every day of my life, every day of my life. You I talk was... about the New York relationship and that kind of did it for me in your book because I had the exact same experience. Have you? Yeah. That's interesting. So it's, I went to New York and I met this bloke on Tinder and we had this like weird, it was almost like play acting of two people in a great romantic story and he kind of you know asked me to told me he loved me the first night he met me and asked me to marry him it's so funny actually because every woman I know who's read that book who's uh, who I've spoken to about it who enjoyed the book says to me oh my god that chapter I've done that I've been kind of desperately looking for an escape from myself through a distraction with this like big fake intense thing and then I gave it to the first man who read it is a very funny journalist called Joel Golby who writes for Vice and he read it and his response was, that whole bit in New York, mate, are you fucking mad? <laughs> it's like, it's the difference between men and women. Um, <laughs> like, were you really going to do that? It's like, that's fucking mental. <laughs> what happened with you? Um, I was in New York and I'd gone there for a drama course and I had met, and this is just going back to lies I I started lying about my age a lot so did I yeah that was a big one I did that before the sex I started lying actually I probably lost my virginity by then yeah I had but I started lying about my age and because I think older men and they weren't that much older they found me more attractive than Mm. boys my own age Mm. so that was something I kind of felt like I had to do to get the kind of male attention. I did exactly the same yeah. thing. But um, in New York, it was someone that I'd met at a party pretending that I was, I must have pretended I was probably about 22 because he, you know, obviously the the drinking age and clubbing age there is 21. And I was probably about 18. And it 
was just became this like toxic, but very exciting romantic affair. Mm. And how was it short lived? It was very short lived. We we still like you. Well, I still keep in touch mm. with him every so often. He's he's he. It tapped into something though because I think I just. I was, or I think I've been constantly looking for something and someone to to make me feel good about myself. And that was kind of the perfect kind of mixture because it was like short-lived. It was like, there was no that, there was no beginning period of like getting to know each other. It was just like, yep, we're in love. Yeah, you don't have to do any actual serious boring, mm. like committing or getting to know each other. Yeah. It's play acting, really. I had a lot of those kind of short, very I've dramatic. Had, yeah, but that's the thing. Why I've, I've had so many of those mm. because I'm mm. not a. Um, I wouldn't say I'm a serial dater. I'm a serial like. Let's have kind of short-lived, long relationships, but they're not. Re- they're not really long. They're like a few months. Yeah, but they but mirror. Those. Yeah, yeah, totally. But they mirror the intensity of like yeah. <laughs> ten year marriage. Ten years, exactly. Yeah, I had. Do you know what? I interviewed Marianne Keys, who's this amazing novelist, and she said this thing to me that I think about all the time and has really helped me with um, how I behave with men now. Where she she had like a very dramatic um, period in her twenties. She was an alcoholic. And I think her alcoholism was very much tied up with these like incredibly intense, dramatic um, love affairs that were very short lived. And I said to her, why do you think you, why do you think that you did it? Why did you seek them out so much? And she said, I think I wanted to generate fake, big emotions to distract myself from the pain of being me. That is yeah, and it was like so poignant because I was like, "This is basically a very um, exciting and silly way to avoid the reality." Which was for most of the time when I was going through those kind of flings, I was in, I was it's really suffering. I was like, had a terrible low self esteem and crippling anxiety, and I had a lot. I, I wasn't comfortable in myself and my skin. I wasn't. I didn't really know who I was. And the best way, like the funnest, most exciting, cinematic way of not thinking about it, was like, I don't know, snogging some man in the street in the rain and him telling me that we were going to get married. You know, it's an easy way of not really facing stuff that's so difficult to face. Yeah, completely. I mean, I remember that trip being one of, like, the most debauched. I had a, quite a funny relationship with New York in general, but um, until, like, kind of older age. But that I remember that trip being very debaucherous, and it was just a kind of, like you said, it was just, I was always running away from what was going on with me. Yeah, Getting, exactly. like, paralytically drunk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was behaving so badly. Thank God you and I never oh found my each God, other no, on a literally, Manhattan Street. No, yeah, thank God. <laughs> but, like, the same thing, like, kind of bumping into someone and being like, and then them being like, let's go here. And you'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll come with you over yeah. there, you fellow stranger. <laughs> That's a really clever thing to do. Yeah, and I think I... It took me a long time. And to be totally honest, I'm still, it's still something that I battle with. I think that for so long, and I think it maybe is that I had like quite a suburban sheltered upbringing and I was desperate to like be free and feel like a grown up. That whole thing of like following the strangers, following the darkness of the night, pushing to the extremities, going as far as you can. At that, I think I thought for a really long time that like that was living. Mm-hmm. Like that was the only way of experiencing a full 
and vivid and exciting life that I could dream about in an in an old people's home one day. And I, I've had to, it's taken me quite a long time, both in love and, you know, nights out and weekends and, and all my relationships and, and career. It's made me realise that like, you can also, you can still have like a bit of that. I'm always going to be someone that's kind of a bit drawn towards darkness and drama, I think. But equally, you know, you can still have a really fulfilling, exciting life and it not feel like you're in this anxious, insecure, mad, unstable place with people you don't know all the time. Did you kind of navigate with putting men and anyone you were in a relationship with on a pedestal? Um, yeah, I think I've just been like that thing that you said about your friends kind of shape-shifting and becoming a different person when they were with the, the when they had a boyfriend. I think I've always just been quite obsessed with the male gaze, really. I think I just have been so desperate to be whatever it is I thought they needed me to be. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I think it's weird I think we have to forgive ourselves as women because I don't think men suffer from this as much. I think that we've been so programmed from such a young age with fairy tales that are read to us, with the rom-coms that we watch, with the stories we read, with the celebrity stories we follow. I think we're so programmed basically to think that life isn't worth living, you're not worth loving, uh, nothing is exciting until someone wants to fuck you basically, Mm -hmm. until a man loves you and, and desires you. And uh, we have to really resist that th- thought, you know. I, I, that we, lo- you know, I say it in the kind of final pages of my book. I really learned by the end of my twenties that I don't, I, I don't come alive. I'm not my best self. I don't, I don't um, blossom um, only when I have a man looking mm. at me. It's just not true. No. And what what happened after school? Did you get male attention after that? After when at university? Yeah, I did. And you had I your was, first relation. No, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was my first, first one. one, and I was basically just like a bull in a china shop. Really, that's Is that what, what happened to you. Oh my, a hundred percent. And I was actually quite cruel. I think. I think I was really careless yeah. with people's hearts. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I think it was because I basically felt there's this amazing interview that Russell Brand did with Mark Maron where he said that when he he was like a a very overweight teenager and I think he struggled with mental health stuff and he Mm. he didn't have an easy time of it as an adolescent. And he says that when he started getting female attention, there was always this like, (laughs) you know, fat kind of losery little kid on his shoulder Mm. being like, do it for me. Like, like it charged him with this aggression of like, I've... uh, this might run out, so I yeah. need to go uh, while I while I can get this. I need to binge. Yeah, completely. Mine was like just anyone. I couldn't believe I was getting attention. Me too. I could not believe yeah. that that someone had like that people found me attractive, and I was just like, I'm just gonna go for it. <laughs> it's like an all you can eat. Yeah, buffet. I'm gonna go for it. <laughs> and it was really. It became. It did. There were moments, and I carried that for a while, even. After like long term relationships, I would always go back to that kind of careless, yeah, playing with other people's emotions and hearts. Not necessarily manipulative, mm. just being. It, I suppose it was manipulative, but just being like, I'll take you, and I'll also take you. And I need as much as possible, yeah, at the expense of I don't really care. And the other thing is as well that I think a lot of girls have to confront when they get older which I had to confront with my therapist, was that, you know, that horrible story you told me about the boys shouting faster. Yeah. 
you know, I'm really not in the business of like vilifying men, but in my in my teens, I was I some very cruel things were said to me by boys of the opposite sex. Things that I will carry with me forever that on low days I still think about, you 100%. know, and I had to face the fact that when I was being kind of careless and um, attention grabby um, and a little cruel with boys uh, in my 20s, I was really fucking angry at them. Mm-hmm. I was really angry. I had no respect for them. They sure as hell hadn't respected me. And I think I wasn't aware of it, but there was something deep in my soul being like, no, fuck all of you. And that's obviously not good. That's not healthy. No, no, it's not healthy, but it is. I can completely relate to that. Um, it's just, you know, I talk about this with my therapist a lot as well. The shit that I've, that has been ingrained in me from, you know, so-and-so looking at my shoes and being like, what the fuck are you wearing? From, Mm -hmm. you know, changing my hair because every other girl I was around had like flowing hair. So I wanted to relax mine and then being told it felt weird. That has... You know, I wouldn't mm. even let a man touch my hair until I kind of shaved my hair off. Really? It was so deeply ingrained mm. in me, that insecurity and that that hatred for certain parts of me. And it's hard, isn't it? Because part of me wants to, you know, as a 30-year-old woman who's like basically got most of her shit, I would hope, in check, there is a part of me that wants to be like, you need to learn to love yourself and I need to like think that I'm beautiful and amazing and like I'm, that's going to be a lifelong job. I think the sad truth of it is that stuff that's kind of rammed down your throat as a teenager, that is when you're kind of making sense of the world, piecing together your identity and self-worth and real, you know, ordering in the world how everything works. I think it's very hard to undo. And I'm not saying that in a pessimistic or nihilistic way, but I think the best thing that I can do now is not strive. Like those things have been said, I'll carry them forever. The best thing that I can do is like try and manage it. Mm-hmm. And look at the evidence of my inherent goodness as a person, um, and and lovability, and how lovable I am, which I now know I am. For a long time, I didn't think I was. So I think that's the thing now that I have to focus on to heal from that stuff. Which all of us, everyone has this, have stuff like that from their adolescence, rather than kind of striving to completely undo it. Because I just don't. <laughs> yeah. Sadly, I think those taunts you will remember on your deathbed. Yeah, sadly, you know, completely. What did you ever have the kind of boyfriend love? Not the sex chat with your parents. I'm kind of more interested in the kind of. Did you ever talk with your parents about kind of boyfriends and relationships and kind of how to kind of navigate around those? You know, I didn't at all. I've got. I'm my mum and I talk about it a lot now that I'm older. But the big thing that I found difficult when I was a teenager is I just. I hated being vulnerable. I hated feeling Mm. like a kid. I hated feeling dependent on my parents. I was desperate to be a grown-up from the age of 11. Like, I hated being an adolescent and I hated school. So I did everything I could to sort of push my mum and dad away from me because I didn't, I found it so humiliating, the Mm. fact that they were my carers because I just wanted, like, to live in a flat with my friends and be a grown-up and make my own money. So I think I found it very hard to be sort of emotionally vulnerable with them uh, during that time. And I think I wish I had sought their advice and their wisdom a bit more, actually, because I I dealt with a lot of stuff on my own. Did you talk to your... No, and I wish I had as well. I kind of, when my sister got her first boyfriend, my dad had the chat with her and he he kind of explained it as I never had the chat with your sister. Mm. And 
I, w- I wish I would have had the conversation, not necessarily like do this, do that kind of thing, but just like make sure you you hold all the other important things close as well as falling in love because when you fall in love for the first time all those things go out the window and I and I let that continuously happen through lots of different relationships yeah just losing losing yourself yeah yeah I put everything in every single person I ever went out with and I think it's only now and my dad turned to me and he was like this is the first and he knows me so well and he's like this is the first time I've seen you actually comfortable in a relationship I'm about to be 27 so that's like you know it's nice that yeah yeah and I I still find it difficult though to tell you the truth being in a relationship but it's it's hard because and that's why I'm so glad that you picked up um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm so same with me and I'm so glad that you picked up on that penultimate line of my book about let your friends abandon you once because for love because the good ones will always come back because I think the thing you know because we're so programmed that this is the thing, I think it's a biological thing as well. Whether we want children or not, I think it's like a kind of yearning and obsession that's kind of out of our control. You know, we are animals. And I think, you know, it's hard because when you first fall in love, we've all had that feeling of like, well, I've only really had it once, but I've had that feeling that makes me forgive my friends who've abandoned me Mm -hmm. for a bit of, I literally don't need anything or anyone other than you. I can just, I would give everything I own away now for you. I would wear the shirts and the jumpers and the t-shirts in your drawers forever if I could just be with you. I, the whole world can come crumbling down around us. And as long as I'm with you, I just want to hunker down with you and me against the world. Everyone's had that feeling. And you know what? Like, it's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to just, if you know you have a propensity to do that, which I do, it sounds like you do. I'm a great romantic and fantasist and and very insecure as well. Uh, you know, it's a toxic brew. So I think you just have to like, it's going to be hard work for people like us to fall in love and for it to be healthy. Yeah, and I think now, after the heartbreaks, and I like to speak a bit about breaking up. I'm sure all our listeners have, have or are going through something like that. After the breakups, then comes bringing down the walls again. Yeah. And I find that really difficult. Yeah. Um giving yourself over to someone when you are like, nah, never again. It's really hard. Yeah. It's really, really are hard. Are you in a relationship? No, but I so I had like eighteen months of Yeah, I remember you telling me. Yeah, it was like celibacy. My friends hate when I say that because they say it makes me sound like a monk. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's so martyry Um, like I was denying the world yeah yeah so I had 18 months off basically after a lot of time in therapy my therapist was like I think you need some like she was like I think you're a sex and love addict so I think you need some time away from romance in your life and sex in your life flirtation intrigue everything so I think you need some time to like reassess the role it's played how you've lost yourself in those relationships, mm-hmm. the kind of partner you've been, what kind of partner you thought you've needed, how cruel you've been at times, why, you know, how cruel people have been to you, all this stuff. So I think you, you're not going to be able to get any clarity on that unless you like remove it from your life. So I had 18 months where I just didn't go near boys for the first time. You know, I wasn't obsessing or texting or, you know, back in the day, MSNing. Yeah. Boys, you know, I hadn't done that since I was like 13. And it was quite amazing. 
was ama- it was like I almost really missed that time now because I started dating again in the autumn. And that feeling that you just described of bringing the walls down and learning to trust again, it's so, so hard. It's so hard because it gets harder and harder as you get older. Because mm-hmm. when you fall in love for the first time, you just have no idea what is at risk and what you could lose. And it just, yeah, I just feel like this sort of <laughs> wounded soldier the more times that I kind of open my heart to someone and it goes wrong. It just feels, you know, I, I mean, I don't know how people do it who are single or have gone through a horrific divorce in their 50s or 60s and have the bravery to go out there and be vulnerable and trust someone again. And I think the only way that I can look at it, because it got to a point with this like man ban that I did, that I was like, well, maybe I'll just do this forever because life's much easier and I'm having a lot mm-hmm. of fun and all my friendships and my family relationships are better and you know, I'm reading lots more. When yeah. <laughs> you're not having sex, you get way more done. And then I just thought, well, I'm, I've, I really believe in love. I'm a great romantic. I really want to fall in love again. I want to align my life with someone. I'd really like to have a family at some point. So I've got two options. Either I let that wall down and, fa- and have the risk of being vulnerable again, and I'm sure it's a risk for them too, or I carry on just like becoming a born again virgin reading books every night so those and never feeling love again that romantic love again so I choose the first but yeah it is it's tough it's really tough and I remember I did a podcast with Steve McQueen and he asked me all these questions and I I think it just stays with you the heartbreaks and I know it's like you do if you get the chance to fall in love again it's beautiful and you and hopefully you let those walls down and I am gradually but surely doing that but how, how long have you been with your partner I've been partner with, sorry I don't know why I said yeah. that. what a horrible word <laughs> I've been with my partner for um about eight months now right. and it's so lovely but I find I don't mean to be but I can be so cold and it's not because I am cold I'm actually highly loving but I just I there's just something that's still there that just goes just keep them like that protect yourself. Protect, protect yourself yourself protect yourself and and I think also when you have that time if you're whether you're going through a man ban or you're just having some time to yourself you get so used to being independent and doing things on your own time yeah. and then when someone else's feelings are involved it's quite hard to navigate around that and it's yeah. quite it's quite and it's beautiful and amazing but it sometimes feels like you know, you've got your own, if you're like a highly sensitive person, which I am, like you've got your own emotions and then you've got someone else's emotions and it's just like, yeah. And I, th- I think the thing, it's so true what you s- just said about considering another person, like that's the thing um, that I found difficult is accepting that, yeah, it, I do, like I do bring baggage to stuff. I do have insecurities that I bring to relationships. I, I do feel very vulnerable I do have these methods of like keeping people at arm's length so that they can't come too close to me and hurt me. But you know what? It's like I'm only 50% of a relationship. And I think because we're in this time where there's this like great reckoning with patriarchal behavior and constructs and we all sort of think men are trash at the moment, (laughs) which is like it's long overdue um, movement. But I think sometimes I forget like men, men... can have exactly the same vulnerabilities Completely. and insecurities that they're bringing. Yeah. It's not just about like, oh, well, you, I need, you know, you need to earn my trust. And it's all like, it's about them as well. And I think that 
that's something I'm still learning. Yeah. And I think it is hard. I think I've, you know, with Ben now, it's, it's actually perfect because I think before what was happening, the more independent I got, it was very hard to find someone who, who allowed that and realized that I didn't need them for anything else but love and comfort. I don't need you to buy me things and yeah. I just don't need that in my life because I actually can do that for myself. How amazing. Yeah, and it's amazing that. Because you have a real clarity about this human being mm-hmm. rather than a service he's providing you. Yeah, and that's something that men have to kind of, I suppose it would be really interesting to talk to men about that. And I know I've had it a few times with men who have been on kind of different kind of fi- financial stability than I am. And it's been hard for both of us because... You know, I want to bring them along, but sometimes, you know, the ego gets in the way and they yeah. don't want you to have to kind of pay for them or whatever. Yeah, I think um, I've noticed, like, it's been so weird going out dating again. The last time that I was dating, I was like... Do you, you internet know, date? I know you don't. You said in your, you're, you're, you don't like internet dating, but I'm just wondering how. I, I did for a bit. I go through cycles with it. I find it impossible to meet people. So, well, How do you meet people? Well, I just don't know. I don't, honestly, I, I, I have no... When, I, when people, like, I will be grilling you about Ben afterwards. When I hear yeah. about these, like, couples that have met in real life, I'm, I obsessively am like, where was the bar? Where was the... What yeah, time? Yeah, <laughs> past the restaurant. I'll tell you later. You're but joking. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just desperate for that to happen. Mm. I just don't know. I don't know where people meet. Every couple I know now has either met ages ago at uni or at work or oh, yeah, no, online. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know. But it's hard as well because you don't want to become, like, obsessed. I remember when I um, was living in Highgate and I was so desperate to find, uh, to meet someone. And I'd just gone freelance as well. So it's hard because it's not like I'm, like, flirting with people in the workplace or working in these cool teams where I can meet all these cool people. I'm just basically on my own in, like, Gap Jersey where at home eating baked beans (laughs) from the can every day. So I think you have to try even harder to find people. And I remember becoming like absolutely obsessed with like, where am I going to find them? Where am I going to find them? And I became obsessed with the idea of the next man that I need to be with is like a debonair, like an older gentleman who has like a Tom Selleck vibe. So my friends were like, we need to go to Highgate Golf Club. And we literally (laughs) planned this whole night. We were going to go to this like golf club bar. And I was like, guys we can't get this desperate for cock that we're going to, like, a golf club yeah. age 28. When you're... All the girls that you lived with in Highgate, are they all married or in relationships now? Yeah, I've got one single friend left. Have you got single friends? Yeah. Uh, yes, I do. Yep, I do. Yeah, it's weird. It's, it does they change. They have been in long-term quite... relationships, but now they are single. And they find it... Very hard to meet people. Where where are they online? No, they don't like it. They no one, like no it. one likes it. This is they the problem. Like everyone does to it. To tell no you the truth, it. when I was on doing online dating, I was only doing it for one reason. I don't want to be alone, so I'm just going to find someone for that night. So I really wasn't finding anyone today. But you know, lots of people meet their the loves of their lives. I've heard on on internet dating it's I think it's it's easy to be really down on it and I think it has had some really I just hate texting so I don't know why I'd, I'd I can't really be bothered to be on my phone anyway yeah and I think you can get into these like big virtual relationships that just can go on for like weeks and weeks and weeks which are obviously really unhealthy and very unsatisfying um but yeah it's uh 
it's diff- I can be very down on it because I do think I think about my early twenties when I first moved to London. Tinder wasn't hadn't been launched, and I remember going out in like Camden and going out like being chatted up, mm-hmm. dancing with people, people coming up like being chatted up on the night bus. I remember this being a thing, and then I have incrementally when when Tinder was launched, I did really notice people just. Stop chatting people up. Also, and that all like there was just this weird digital barrier that happened. You'd meet someone really cool at a party and they wouldn't ask for your number and then they'd find you on Facebook that night and request you as a friend. Yeah. And then start messaging you. So I am kind of, I am down on it in that way because I think it's been bad for how men and women re- relate to each other in real life. But equally, you know, it's like one in three weddings last year apparently were couples who'd met on Tinder, which is just extraordinary. Really? Yeah, and I, I think like, how can you be down on that? People, no. you know, that's a great thing. What do you? What? Why do you think people are down on it? I think it's. Why are you down on it? I think I just want the story. Like I yeah. can I, I, I literally like sort of want to strangle you because of the story you've told me about Ben. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so jealous. Mm. I'm like desperate. Like, any time I hear a story like that, I'm just like, fucking bitch. Yeah. Fucking bitch. Did your parents have a story like that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did your parents have a story like that? Yeah, and they're very, very much in love. Which has always been... So I I always have had it, and I think that's why I fell in love with you and your book so much, because I am obsessed with love. I am obsessed. I love it so much, and I... And I think, and I love how in love my parents are and the way in which they met and their story. And so I think it's all, I've always set very high standards for what I have exactly I think it has to be. the same thing. My parents are madly in love you know, with each other. No, they're snogging and all that sort of shit. I have exactly the same. My dad said to me once, I was like, my mum's like quite a social butterfly and my dad isn't. And I was like, dad, just go to a like dinner party with her. She really wants to go to one. And he said, I don't like going to dinner parties with your mum because they never sit us next to each other and I get sat next to someone's like boring wife and I just look across the table and I in every room she's the most interesting, funny person in the room and I just think I want to be sitting next to her. And I think that that's like a beautiful and inspiring thing. I think it really can fuck over kids yeah. of, pa- of, of parents like that because I think it gives you an incredibly high standard for love because so many of my friends that come from divorced parents are like, you know, the romance goes and it's basically just about being good friends and a great partnership. And I'm like, no bullshit. I'm, I, I'm, I've I'm, grown up in a house with a couple that's still like snogs. Yeah. You know, I know you can have that as well. Yeah. But yeah, that's tough to find. That's a hard act to follow. Are you still into, do you believe in like kind of the traditional love as well? Like marriage? I think marriage is... Um, marriage, babies, babies, marriage. I'm very into the babies idea. Yeah. Um, not so bothered by the marriage thing yeah how about you yeah I I obviously talk about my wedding but I think that's because I'm a I'm an attention seeker so I just quite like the idea of having a day all about me I have exactly the same thing I was like the idea of marriage I'm like whatever but the idea of having like a giant tree made of chocolate yeah and like five (laughs) different outfits you know I quite like that but babies yeah I've I have and will always think about babies probably like once or twice a day. Really? Yeah. Something weird has happened to me since I got since I turned thirty. It's such a cliche. I always knew that I wanted babies, but now I'm like, I've got the, got the baby fever now. Yeah, and do a lot of your friends. Mm, mm, yeah, they're all starting to have them. It's weird. I just, 
every time I see a baby, even just like on a tube, I just have this absolute primal need to pick it up and hold it and walk out of the station Yeah, yeah. My sister and my mum are like, you have to stop doing that. I see a baby, I'm like, hello! Yeah. And I see like, I see like a, a pregnant woman. I'm like, let me touch it. But I like, know. get away. <laughs> Please, step back. <laughs> but isn't it good that you know that's what you want? Yeah. Because that's great, you know. It is really nice. What about, I always like, I'm always interested in, you know, when you're young and someone always goes like, you're too young to feel like this or that you'll find someone else. I always, I've always kind of written kind of all sorts of things about that and always kind of struggled to understand why people immediately say that and even when you know now kind of thinking about baby it's like you've got all the time in the world but actually I've got friends now who have waited for a long time and are now in in turmoil because they've waited so long and they're kind of trying to sort that out and obviously I haven't I'm not at that time in my life but I I never understood why people were so kind of so stuck in that traditional sense and this is how you should do it mm. because that young love is 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 just insane you have there's no plan b you're going to be together for the the rest of your life and i yeah. think that's beautiful and then why why does it, one of my friends is get this is what i'm trying to get at one of my friends is getting married and they haven't known each other for a very long time and there are all sorts of people who are like Oh, God. Da, da, da. And I always say, I was like, but you knew she was never going to do something the kind yeah. of traditional way. You know yeah. she's an intense person. Yeah. You know she's a lover. So just let her do what she's going to do. God, I wish I had a friend like you. I, I, t- I can be your friend <laughs> if you want. Okay, great. Yeah. Please. <laughs> um, yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And that's something that I, I, I've said that before about myself as well, you know, about kind of following traditional roots. I was never going to be someone who slept with a handful of men and then <laughs> married my first long-term boyfriend and yeah. did so in a kind of rational, you know, measured way. That's just, that's not who I am. And I think that's not a failure. People do things at all different times. And the other thing is, is you know, people love and feel love in, in different ways. and especially when people get older, you hear about people having babies or getting married within a year of meeting each other. And I think it's because when you've, when you've loved so much and you've lost so much love and you've, and you've learnt about yourself and you've learnt to have a loving relationship with yourself, often I think what happens to people is they're just like, they know. Mm-hmm. And they, they just don't, there's no point going through the rigmarole of like the various traditional benchmarks and how long it takes. When you know at that point, you know, and you should just... Yeah, you should just go for it. I think so. And I, it was definitely something that when I started up in this new relationship, I was just like, let's just skip all that. Like, I'll text you in two days and yeah. you text me in three because that gives me anxiety and I'm just like, I travel too much to keep that up. So we might as well just skip that bit. And did you did you say that to him? Yeah. I'm very, now that's something I've also learned. I, I used to just, and only till like not that long ago, I used to just, play along with whatever they wanted, really. Mm, I think it's really good that you said that. And I think it just saves so much um, brain space. Like, you know, that the beginning when it's just like all you think about and you've like, you've got fucking shit to do, you know. It shouldn't be, for so long I think I thought that 
relationships and love, I just associated it with a feeling of like insecurity, confusion mm-hmm. and fear, like fear they're going to go or fear they're going to lose interest or whatever. And actually, you know, life, particularly as you get older without sounding too <laughs> nihilistic, like your life will become a war zone in various ways mm-hmm. with work, with friends getting ill, with like, you know, stuff mm-hmm. is going to get complicated and what you want from your relationship is, you know, can't peace. That's what you want. You don't want to be fucking staring at the WhatsApp tick and seeing if it's gone blue or green. That's not what you want. Yeah, Life's I, difficult enough. And I think you, as you get older, I I love the mundane. I really love the kind of routine of a relationship. And I think you said it, there was a beautiful bit in your book about kind of navigating around each other in the bathroom in the mornings mm. and like, And also, and I think I love this bit in the book as well, about how, and when you get older, those breakups, you're losing not only a love, but you're losing a life. And that is something that I found very difficult growing up, is that you're not just, you know, feeling it, I'm like heartbroken. You're like, oh my God, I've got to change everything. Mm, mm. And I've done a lot of geographicals from relationships. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the many. friendship groups, that's the other thing yeah. that used to break my heart. Yeah, it's difficult. But then and you family. think about, I oh, family, yeah. yeah. I found family really hard. Yeah. Like, I basically only have a Christmas card list now to send the cards to my ex-boyfriend's mums. Yeah. I always get so attached to the mum. Yeah. Yeah. And I, oh yeah, this is what I was going to say. Your obsession with like finding out how people met, I have an obsession with finding out... Um, how long it took till they, like, decided to have a child. Really? Yeah, I like to know, like, the kind of time span. <laughs> you know, is that normal? Yeah. <laughs> like, how did you do that? How old were you? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm quite obsessed with the how old were you question. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Has this happened to you more recently or have you always been like that? No, more recently. Yeah, it's such a cliche, but it does happen. It's, yeah. happened, to, like, it's happened to, like, nearly every woman I know, basically, really? bar one. Yeah, yeah. We're, 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 you know, animals. Like, I know I keep saying, but like, it's, I don't think you should be, I'm trying not to beat myself up about it, that I'm so like, you know, babies are in my head, as you said, at least twice a day. Yeah. And sometimes I see someone mothering, like, particularly my friends, or even just like a woman on the street, and I just like, will start crying. I find it just like, so moving suddenly. Yeah, my friend just had her baby about two days ago. Oh. And she's just like, I've never... I've never been so in love with something in my whole entire life. And it's just beautiful. Have you met the baby? Oh, no, no, no not aware. yet. I will. It's weird as well. The love that you have for your... F- I, w- couldn't, I didn't quite anticipate the love that I would have for my friends' babies. Are you godparent? Yeah, I'm a godmother to two, uh, two girls. Um, and it's the best job. Are you a godmother? No, not yet. You would be such good, mo- good, I good just, godmother. I would be so good. Because the good thing I know about I would. the good thing about yeah. I'm, if your friends are listening, I'm actively doing a pitch now. Yeah. <laughs> you must make her a godmother because the reason you'd be great is the godmother never has to discipline. Yeah, or you're literally there for yeah, play with my bag, go into my makeup, play with all my makeup bag, have a fiver. What yeah. chocolate do you want? Yeah. I literally, my goddaughter came round on Sunday and her parents and I'd been like drinking wine all day, and she's two and a half and she was we were just like trying to distract her in my flat just literally giving her anything to play with and then I was like why don't you jump on the bed and she's like yeah like went and jumped on the bed and then she came back in and was just like got bored with the bed so I was like hang on 
just went into my handbag, got like 10 quid in coins yeah. and put it all under the duvet. And I was like, there's buried treasure. Yeah. And I was just like, and she that just distracted her for an hour. And then she had a tenner to, you know, spend on toys or whatever. And her mum was like, God, it must be fun being the godmother. Yeah, completely. And I know they would be sport rotten because I just like, <laughs> literally, that's the kind of, I had such good godparents and they always kind of, they did, some of them were a bit too, probably disciplined me a bit too much. No, they were just quite strict. Oh, you don't want strict. You literally... They weren't strict. They just had, like... I've learned a lot from them kind of giving me a few rules, but they definitely also looked after me very well. Well, I think I think that's... I didn't really have a close relationship with my godparents, and I think it's, like, quite a special bond that you can have with adults because you, you know, you don't have... You don't, they don't have to be parental with you. They don't have to discipline you. So you can go to the... Like, I really dream of one day... My goddaughter is coming to me with like, you know, I, yeah, some some boy problem or, mm-hmm. you know, wanting their first fag. Probably shouldn't. <laughs> no, no, but I really dream about that. I'm like, yeah. I will anything. I'll come out with you. Yeah, exactly. If you, if you like, and it's also <laughs> if only if you like. But I'll probably come anyway. Yeah. Oh, I really want you to be a godmother. You made for it, and I'd be such an embarrassing mum as well. It's definitely gonna happen. I'd like to end this part. Obviously, you talk a lot. About in your book about your love for your friends and particularly your love for Farley. And that was something that I was really drawn to throughout the book is that they are some of your, the most beautiful love stories. And you said that beautiful bit at the end in your acknowledgements about Farley. Oh God, I love how like closely you've read this book. <laughs> I'm like so touched by how much you like remember. And... Yeah, no, I'm, I love it. I'm obsessed with it. Thank you. No, like, we don't know if we can get Dolly. I was like, what? how can I get Dolly? How can I make sure I am there? <laughs> I love you. Thank you so much. For me. Like, I think you've read it closer than Farley. Really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah thank no, you. No, I absolutely love it. But what is it about kind of female friendships and that kind of female love that kind of obsesses you and, and drives you? It's weird because since I've been, I'm writing the TV adaptation at the moment, which hasn't been sold or confirmed yet, but I've been working on this kind of script with fictionalised versions of, of me and all my friends for the last two years. And it's quite weird because you do have to, when you're writing TV, d- kind of pitch and distill and analyse and uh, explain, particularly to like, you know, the male CEO of the production company who just doesn't really understand why me like there's every scene that they wake up in together the characters of Farley and I you know they're always in the same bed spooning and this guy was like I just it feels really icky and intense and I'm just like so weird there's so much to be jealous of with men but I just think I, I don't envy them for the fact that I think most of them don't experience that kind of really magic closeness mm-hmm. that women have with each other and I think it's like I think it's it's like a feeling of just total intimacy and safety of people that I have been like they've really seen me at my worst, mm-hmm. my friends. Yeah, like more than any relationship, more than my family, they've they've seen me in when I've behaved badly. They've seen me at points of you know terrible trauma. They've seen me in tragedy. They've seen me when I'm being a fucking brat. They've seen me when I'm being like a terrible drunk, when I'm being selfish, they've seen me. Every every version of myself I can be, my friends have seen me. And that is freedom to know that 
you they have seen all of you for all your complications all the wonderful things about you all the the contradictory things about you all the difficult things about you and they love you regardless it just it it and makes they stick around and they stick around mm. and you feel the same about them being seen by each other and you know it's weird I've, in the interest of full disclosure i've had a very very bad week for my for like mental health stuff and my anxiety is really really bad and the way I always react, which I know doesn't fucking work when I'm feeling like this, is to just like stop picking up calls and not mm-hmm. see people. And then, um, uh, then I bumped into one who was just like the other day, uh, yesterday, and she was like, "You haven't been texting me back. I've been really worried about you." And I just like burst tears on her, and she just like held me. She actually walked past a cafe where I was sitting and working. And she was working. Her office is two doors down. And I immediately just felt like a different person. She was like, what is going on? And we have this shorthand. We have this history. I don't have to explain myself. She knows the things that make me feel anxious and, and like trigger me into feeling shit. And we had this hug and we talked and it was great. And then she left and I was just like, why didn't I do that? Like, I know. Why? That was now. And then I felt like I could conquer the world yesterday afternoon. And your girlfriends, they are just going to... They're going to get you out of bed. They're going to put you in the shower. They're going to, and it is, it's funny that they're the first ones you kind of, when you're in those moments of stress and anxiety and, and sadness, they're the ones that you stop kind of picking the phone up to. But then, do you do the, the same? Yeah, all the time. Why, and then do, they why worry, do you think that is? And they is? always worry, and they're the first ones to worry. So it's actually pretty shit to put them through that, actually. Why, why do you think that is that? that I that always that? retreat when I'm feeling like overwhelmed. Mm. Um, Still, like sometimes not as kind of before it was like highly dangerous and now it's kind of sometimes I do it because I have to um, because I really just can't be around any more people. And sometimes it's because, you know, I'm sensitive and I can't handle any energy. So I just have to protect myself. Yeah. And it's hard, isn't it? Because that is also, even though you think that's selfless by doing that because you don't want to, you don't want to burden them. So actually, I've had to realise getting older that it's selfish because they, they, as you say, they worry and they and they want to be of use. Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of consider that. Have you had breakups with friends? Um, no, not any close friends. Yeah. I haven't. Have you? Not any close friends. I've a, fallen a out people, with friends. Yeah, and that's been horrible. Oh, what's the longest kind of fallout you've had? The longest fallout I've had with a friend was. Probably a year. Yeah. A year of not talking. Oh, my God. But we sorted out, thank God. Are you completely fine now? Yeah, completely fine now. Yeah, completely fine. Oh, I think it kind of... your heart. Yeah, it was so hard for both of us, and I think it's it's always been... It's only after that you can kind of look at your part to play in it. Obviously, during, you're a bit like, it's all their fault. Mm. But actually, you know, it's both of you. Mm. But mm. I'm always I'm always glad that you've, that you, I'm always glad that I've managed to sort it out. And yeah. we both have. Because that's not, the, you know, the same with, like, relationships that I've had. Yeah. Love, you know, love and sex relationships, they've... I don't know. I've always, I always envy anyone who's really good friends with their exes. I I know one couple that can do it. Really? Yeah, I think it's too hard. It's too. I don't. It's, I find it impossible. Yeah, I I, it's too heart wrenching for me. I think so. Yeah. I don't. I don't know that many. I mean, I think people like pretend they are, but I can see it in their eyes. <laughs> 
It's like they're all, you know, I can see it. They're not really friends. I think often they are as well. They can be until one of them gets into a new relationship. Exactly. <laughs> So moving on to Girls Share, Dolly, the reason I started this podcast is because I love how my community communicates to us through all their writings and artwork and poetry and essays. And it's kind of really become like a platform for mm. our community to share what's going on in their lives, kind of surrounding the different themes that we focus on. So in this segment of the podcast, I'm going to read out today's submission, which comes from a girl called Ellen, and it's a snippet from her book, Love, This Is My Only Philosophy. So this submission has been shortened for the podcast, but if you'd like to read the full version, it's on the Girls Talk website. People have baggage. People have belonged to other people once too, before they met you. People have as many memories, thoughts and feelings as you do. You're not working with a fresh piece of Play-Doh anymore. Everyone you meet is likely to have been picked up, pushed, and moulded a hundred times before they fell into your hands. And reminding yourself of that is so important. There are going to be things people don't tell you, conversations they keep to themselves, and that's okay. That's real. That's true to human nature, and that's what I love so much, the intricacy of people. So why would I want to strip someone of the ability to be so? God, I love that. Yeah. Really good. It's so true. You have to really accept it as you get older, that not a fresh piece, piece of Play-Doh thing. It's just like everyone's going to have stuff. Everyone's going to have stories now. But that enriches them rather than something to be kind of threatened or stressed out by. Yeah, I love in, particularly in this relationship, I love when they explain where that kind of insecurity is coming from and why they feel that way. And it might sign, you know, some people don't want to talk about feelings and emotions all the time, but I... I feel very safe in knowing why someone feels that way about yeah. something because it taps into something that happened in the past or it brings up some insecurity because that's what happened. You know, you said yourself, you know, there are things that will probably go to the grave with us, things yeah. that have been, you know, that are really hard to kind of wipe off. And that's a just healthy grown-up mm -hmm. who's willing to look at that stuff. Yeah, and I think, and I love the pit about conversations they keep to themselves and I kind of you know I think that's quite nice about you know there I don't know if she means like conversations like your own conversations with yourself or conversations that they've had in the past but I like to think it's kind of like that mental monologue that that you have with yourself that sometimes it's just for you yeah. and you don't have you give yourself to someone but there are bits that you keep for yourself totally I very much believe that yeah. so thank you so much Ellen Listen. So next part of the podcast is Girls Listen. I never want the podcast to just be about us talking. I want every girl listening to walk away with a new tool of strength for them to take forward in difficult times or something that brings them joy and happiness. So I always ask my panel to share their tool of strength. It can be anything. A poem, a mantra. Well, do you know what? I thought because we're relating to love. A mantra. <laughs> I don't really like mantras that much. So you specifically said no mantra. A poem. <laughs> so I'm going to read you a poem, which is by Derek Walcott. And I it gave me a lot of strength when I decided to have a bit of a break from love, to kind of focus on my relationship with myself. And I think it is 
the best poem ever written about um, self-love. The time will come when, with elation, you will greet yourself arriving at your own door, in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored for another who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your own image from the mirror. Sit, feast on your life. I love that poem. It's beautiful, yeah, isn't it? I just I think it's like such a reminder that as cheesy and hippie-ish as this sounds, there's like one spirit and soul that's going to be with you forever and knows you better than anyone and that's yourself. Mm-hmm. I actually learned that poem at school. Did you? Yeah, we, we, we studied that poem at school and it is that, isn't it? It's like, you're the one that's going to be left with you, so you might as well start, you know. Loving yourself. Loving yourself. Yeah, loving, love yourself. <laughs> girls Take Control. Next part of the podcast <laughs> is Girls Take Control. I want to know what we both learned from today's conversation and kind of do a wrap-up of some of the special parts. I love everything that you've told me about your own kind of insecurities and vulnerabilities that, that you know, from the outside, as I'm sure every girl who's part of your network feels like you just seem like the most kick-ass person, which you are. Of course you are, but I find it very reassuring to know that, that every human, no matter how successful, no matter how powerful they seem, kind of will carry their own baggage, their own stuff, their own anxieties, their own neuroses. Um, I just find that like a really reassuring thing. And it, I think it, knowing that about each other, I think, helps us deepen our compassion for people, whether we know them or not. No, completely. And it's, uh, I've actually learned something very similar. I think when you're lucky enough, and I hope everyone listening is has that kind of amazing female group of friends because it's so important and has carried me through like some of the most tumultuous times of my life but it's so reassuring to be able to have those conversations with someone you're not that close to Mm. um and to be able to like meet each other in the middle and be open with each other and and actually you know as I've always said kind of and why I kind of started girls talk is you start relating to each other and you're like oh thank god Mm. like thank god they feel like that as well. Or thank God, you know, I wouldn't want anyone to kind of feel certain ways, but it's it's sometimes really reassuring to know that you're not the only person in the world. I think it's like one of the greatest sensations a human being can have of just feeling feeling that we're all having these respective experiences, but we're all connected in, in doing them. Um, and that goes back to what we were saying about how I wish I'd spoken to my mum and dad about heartbreak. Like my my dad and I, I love him, but he's very, very different to me. He's very conservative. He's quite a lot older. And I remember the first time I had my heart broken, all he did was give me this enormous hug. And he just quietly said, it's the only thing he said to me about the whole thing. We've all been there, babe. Mm. And I just like, it was kind of the most comforting thing that anyone said to me during that time. Just mm. that simple thing of this person that couldn't be more different to me, look more different to me, had more of a different upbringing to me, and just knowing that that we're all, like, 
these feelings are, are a universal shared experience. These anxieties and these this feeling of, you know, these feelings of rejection and this kind of malaise. And yeah, I think it's just so soothing and galvanizing to share that. Completely like my sister, I'm sure she won't mind me saying this, but she's going through a breakup at the moment. And it's so funny. I mean, I'm so not the typical older sister. Maybe it is quite typical, but every time I could, every time she goes through these like mad rushes of like feeling absolutely sick and heart sick I feel it too and I start Aww. crying and I'm like I just don't want you to feel that way yeah. but it's also it's gonna be great mm. it's actually you needed to go through this and I'm not gonna say that right now but because I want you to feel whatever you want to feel yeah yeah and I'll hate that person with you I'll also let you love him still and I'll I'll try my best to kind of like carry you through this because it's shit yeah God, it's and I awful. hate you know it's horrible to see someone you love feeling that yeah that like kind of ill it's like an ill feeling it is I remember when I when I first felt it I remember being like God I really understand you know when you're at school and you learn about Edwardian men being like taken to their bed with love sickness I remember being like I fucking get it no do you get it it's a physical you know it like it debilitates you. You feel you feel almost like that a physical coming apart. Mm-hmm. I remember, like, I definitely took to my bed. I took to my bed many a time from a heartbreak, and yeah. and I use all of those heartbreaks because I learned what I didn't want and what and I what I want more of. Mm. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I really truly do believe, like, even the worst relationship I ever had. In the first few weeks afterwards, I remember thinking, oh, this will be the only regret I've ever had in my life. I really did think this, this will, I will look at this as a total waste of my time and love. And now I look back on that relationship and truly I think it was one of the most valuable experiences ever. As yeah. you said, for learning what I want and don't want, certainly don't want. No, completely. Like all the time, the, the few, the, a few of the relationships I've had where I would really kind of like, that pestering, that text pestering, the pestering to like hang out that and that how humiliating it would make you feel when they just didn't want to hang out with you. I used to regret those times where I would just like, where they obviously didn't want to be with me, but I'd just like hold on for dear life. And now actually I've learned a lot from it now looking back um, and I use it. You'll always learn and you'll always use it. And it's hard when someone's in the middle of it to tell them that, yeah. but they, it's never a waste. I also, what, 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 there was something else I was going to... Oh, yeah, being broken up on the phone, I had that as well. Ugh. So shite. It's so... <laughs> so humiliating. <laughs> the worst one I ever had was my first ever boyfriend. Um, we'd only been going out for like a few months, but in like 17-year-old head, that was like a, yes. you know, a marriage. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I remember his texts that he sent me to dump me didn't even have like pronouns in no. or like any connecting words. He was just like, feel like not working. <laughs> Maybe best end. And I was just like, you can't even be asked to form like proper sentences. <laughs> I can't. I love to hear if someone's been broken up with emojis. Like, <laughs> crying face. <laughs> and then the dagger. <laughs> That's definitely and, Like happened. the vomiting face. Yeah. <laughs> I really want you to fall in love again, Dolly. I would, if I was a man or or you liked women, I'd definitely go out with you. 
but I've got oh, a boyfriend. But I've seen. Yeah, no, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> but you are phenomenal. I, I don't oh, I know. Exactly I don't. Under, I don't understand why. But I feel it. It's coming. Do you know what I saw my psychic last week, and she's got some good vibes. Because you do. I let. Go, I stop doing things. I know it sounds like I stopped doing things. I went on a hiking trip by myself, and I walked through a lot of things and started. Letting go of things and like old behaviors and and like destructive validation and all those things. And I promise you, got back to London and he walked past the restaurant. So where was the restaurant? <laughs> it was in West London. I don't know if it is the restaurant that that would you. It's, it's it has foot traffic. And then <laughs> it's got good footfall. It's got good footfall. And then did you like run after him? No, no, he came in. I hadn't, I had met him a few times. Right. But I did, we weren't friends. Okay. Yeah, we weren't friends, but we hadn't seen each other in a long time. And then he walked, oh, sorry, I need he all the like, details. He went like, hey. And I went, oh, hi. And I went, oh, forgot about him. He's handsome. And then did you get him in the restaurant? No, he came in the restaurant, said hi, was like a bit kind of like all over the place walked off and I just without a second text someone I knew wouldn't have his number oh I love that and then text him straight away and then it was that but and I you met got him. your great romantic story yeah, that's a good I'd one I only met him like I hadn't seen him in probably about like five years and I really? didn't really we weren't friends at all that does feel I mean I'm very woo woo as I said I saw a psychic this, like I'm very I'm very into the idea of kind of fate and destiny that does feel weirdly fortuitous yeah he just walked past and I really I was literally talking to my best friend Georgie and I was going you know I think I'm not going to do it like how I've been doing it I want to do it differently I don't know why I keep on repeating the same sort of things um when I have learned but I'm just kind of and so and I just think it was quite I think it was definitely like meant to be Yeah. yeah and I think if you had that conversation with him early on where it's like I, I'm not up for playing games. Are you up for not playing games? Like, I love the idea of starting a relationship and being like, I'm just going to be completely honest in myself with you. Is that okay? Yeah. And I remember, and I, don't, I actually don't ever really say this, but I think it's a nice thing for... I remember when he told me he loved me, I actually could not believe it because I never believed that I would ever feel that again like that proper that proper mm. love I never thought I'd ever feel it again after like a long term relationship that I'd had um, and it was fucking nice mm. it was really good mm. and maybe you were like again this will make me sound like hippie but maybe it sounds like you'd done some like thinking and work on yourself like yeah. maybe you uh, were ready to receive love 100%, like that 100% 100% and it really and it's like you said it really I mean, it sounds, like you said, very hippie and whatever, but it is that. You do, I don't know how anyone could love you if, like, that proper, if you don't, like, have respect and love for yourself. I just, mm. I, I really don't believe that that's, that's possible. Yeah, I and, agree. And you'll be able to feel all sorts of magical things, but I think I definitely 100% had to do. I remember when I lost, left, lost, left treatment. They were like, we know you'll say sober, but we always worry about how you'll navigate through relationships and men. Really? Yeah, they were like, we worry about that for you. Mm. But those things often just go hand in go hand in hand, yeah. don't they? Those kind of that's yeah. what Marianne Key said when I interviewed her. She said that the drinking was so fueled by like it was all about 
low self-esteem and despair and the drinking was almost like as the the bad relationships were almost as addictive as the drinking yeah completely girls take action so last but not least girls take action at girls talk we want to be a bit more than just talking and i feel really strongly that 2019 is the year of action for all of us but also for girls talk so i want these podcasts to give you all the tools to go out there and act upon your emotions or or use what you've listened um to kind of drive you forward on your quest of life so before we sign off dolly i'd love to get your advice on on how girls can take action based on everything we have spoken about it doesn't necessarily have to be like go to this website it could just be like kind of you know what you know is a is key to all of this and i'm sure it's quite obvious but i think it's quite nice no i totally agree and sometimes like the most obvious things are the things that are easiest to forget and certainly one that i think i've learned in the last few years that i often have to remind myself is that when i'm feeling alone or when i'm kind of craving when those old teenage insecurities flare up of feeling like the unlovable gooseberry who romance is like never going to happen for me i think a lot of women single women i know feel that and whenever i have that feeling i have to really remind myself that big romantic like grand exciting safe familial intimate life-changing love is already in my life it's already there and it's probably already in your life in fact i would hazard a guess if anyone's listening and feeling that that it's already there and it's just probably hiding in places that you haven't dared to look yet like you know going for having you know, a coffee with your best friend and talking to her, ringing your mum and having like a very long conversation where she tells you all the details of everything that's growing in in her garden, you know, the love that you have for like your favourite band and booking a gig or like booking dogs. a trip to a faraway festival. Dogs. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, dogs. Have you got a dog? No, but I love them. I, really I lost want it in my dog. divorce. Oh, did you? What kind of dog was it? She was a she was a lab pit bull. She was so sweet. Oh, I love pit bulls. <sighs> Could you get another one now? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. Carry on with this because it no, was amazing. Dogs, you know the love you have for your dogs, the love you have for your home, the love mm. you have for your neighbourhood, the love you have for like, yeah, your favourite. I don't know, dancing class. It's just I think that we we become so obsessed with the romantic love that we have in our life, and we prioritise it so much and put such a premium premium on it. When it's not there, life can feel loveless and it's probably love is probably all around, to quote love actually. Yeah. Love is all around. That was amazing. What have tell me yours, thank you. What tell me? Oh, do you not give me a an action? No. <laughs> oh, is it just me? <laughs> yeah, you just <laughs> I was waiting for you to give me yours. Oh, uh, was it were you? Yeah. No, I don't give an action. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I can, but I, I haven't really thought about it. <laughs> I also love interiors. I'm on. And you love interiors. You've, you're about to decorate a house, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. Well, so no, I, but I love that you love interiors. Yeah. Love interiors. That's yeah, my go advice. and love interiors. Go <laughs> and spaff some serious time on Pinterest. Yeah. Love interiors, love dogs. That's it. That's all I've got to say. 
think that's pretty good life advice. I think so. Um, oh, thanks so much, Dolly. Oh, thank Seriously, you so much I'm, for having me. I've, I've got had sweaty such a nice hands. Chat. I don't know why I've got sweaty hands. <laughs> Probably because you didn't sleep on your flight last night. Yeah, and I haven't had a shower either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't but, look like you've had no sleep. But I am wearing tie dye trousers. Oh my God, those trousers They're are good, so aren't good. They? They're so good. Yeah. I don't know why. I've been really drawn to colourful tra- clothing at the moment. Where did you buy them from? Um, they're from they're from Ralph Lauren. Because I work from home, so I need like as many of those sort of like elasticated. Yeah, you need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I'm just living for the tracksuits. I just love tracksuits. Maybe um, a juicy couture velour is oh going to come back in. I think so. Yeah, I think it's. I overdue. love when you and Pandora talked on the high low about all our kind of. I can't remember which one it was, but um, it was all about like your the kind of. The, the clothes that are being brought back the on. noughties yeah do you remember those t-shirts by Toby something rather that said the same thing over in it that was written oh my god they were really cool yeah so I had one when I was 14 maybe this is why no one came near me that said model turned actress <laughs> it's like total loser I had I really like the ones that like 100% like nanny percent devil, one percent. Well, it was actually not that. It was like fifty percent devil. Yeah, fifty percent angel. <laughs> <laughs> I love those ones. There's so much to love. Anyway, thank you so much. Thank I really you for has. Me. I've loved this, and I've wanted to speak to you for such a long time. I think I I made love and sex a theme so as to get you on the podcast. <laughs> well, I'm so chuffed, and thank you so yeah. much. I think you're doing so much amazing work with Girls Talk, and I'm. So honoured to be a part of it. Oh, you too. So that's a wrap on this month's theme of love and sex. And as always, mad, mad, mad amounts of love. We may have stopped talking, but that doesn't mean you have to. Talk to us on our Instagram at Girls Talk or send us your poetry, essays, stories, artwork or anything else you want to share at girlstalk.com. Mad love to Nike for helping us to create such great chat and even better actions for our girls. We are always here and we're always listening. I'm Adjua Burr. This was the Girls Talk podcast and you are amazing.